Day after day, it was the same bitter treatment. The blistering of worn hands from laying bricks, the aching back from slaving in the fields day after day, and the wounds which hadn't quite healed from all the beatings. There was no joy here. Only groaning and crying out, God, help us. This was the life of a Hebrew slave in Egypt. But then, in the midst of that sorrow and sadness and pain, something strange happens. In the ordinariness of tending his father-in-law's flock, the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush. And he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. And when the Hebrew elders heard the news, they believed, and God rained down plagues on the Egyptians. Still, the people weren't completely free until they crossed the Red Seas with waves of water on either side as they walked through on dry land. And the scripture says that they saw the dead Egyptians lying on the shore. And they feared God and they put their trust in him. And then something interesting happens. Moses and the Israelites sing to the Lord. So there there are various ways that we show our joy. We might jump for joy. We might shout for joy. We might dance for joy. But another way we might show our joy is by singing from the bottom of our hearts. And so the psalmist cries out in many instances, Sing to the Lord, shout for joy. In Psalm 98, he says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed the righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And our theme for this morning is this joy. Because Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord, news of his birth calls for great joy. It calls for loud and joyful singing. It calls for worship. It calls for proclaiming to the world the good news that Jesus Christ is born. That God has come down to rescue his people. So I want us to consider this truth following the outline of our text this morning in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Let me repeat the truth of this passage for us. Because Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord, news of His birth calls for great joy. So let's look at this truth following the outline of the text. In verse 8, we have an ordinary night. In verses 9 through 12, we, have, we see an extraordinary announcement. And in verses 13 to 20, we see a joyful response. So it was an ordinary night. The shepherds took their turns keeping watch over the flock, counting them again, making sure every last one was there and accounted for. I suppose it was like any other night for these blue worker, blue-collar workers, quiet, still, uneventful, ordinary in many ways, just like the shepherds themselves, common people, ordinary people. And really like the rest of life around them throughout Bethlehem, ordinary, except For a few strange things, everything else went on as normal. There had been 400 years of silence. And for the people of God, that silence had become normal. 400 years since God last spoke through his prophet Malachi. Where he said, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Four hundred years, and then God speaks. First, he speaks to the old priest Zechariah as he went to the temple to burn incense. And the angel told him that his barren wife, Elizabeth, would have a child. And the son would, the angel said, go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Same words from Malachi. God has now spoken to Zechariah. And then God speaks to the Virgin Mary through the angel Gabriel. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
So God is breaking the silence. But not all at once. It's like a song that begins slowly and then builds. God is beginning to speak. The people, God's people, aren't yet ready for their king, for their Messiah. They need to be prepared. Through the years of silence, the people had become cold toward God. They had become complacent. Like the darkness surrounding the shepherds that night, the people were in spiritual darkness. They were in great need and maybe didn't even know it. Really, in the ordinariness of life, it can be easy to forget about what it is that we really need. At Christmas, too. Especially in the affluent society in which we live, it's easy to think about what we want and forget about what it is we actually need. The birth of Jesus is meant to remind us of our great need. But instead, we have made it oftentimes about what we want. But take a moment and think about what it is that you really need. We can think in physical terms, and for that, Paul says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And then we have to wonder, how far away am I from that? We have begun to need far more than we really need. But really, I'm referring more to our spiritual need. Think about your own spiritual need. Have you thought about that lately? What is it that you really need spiritually? I recently saw a clip from the TV program, The View, in which the women were discussing what they thought was the main message of Christianity and every other religion. And they came to the conclusion it was basically this. Be good for goodness sake. It's Santa Claus religion. And if that's the case, if that's your real spiritual need, if that's what the message of Christianity and every other religion is about, then your biggest spiritual need is learning how to be better. Learning how to be good. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that we should be good, truly good, but we're not. In fact, it teaches that we're all rotten to the core. We have sinned against our Maker. What you deserve for your sin is death and hell. What you need is someone to rescue you from death and hell. We need a Savior, a Rescuer. The saying that Jesus is the reason for the season, is true enough, but there's a sense in which it's only part of the truth. Because it's also true that treason is the reason for the season. Our sin is why Jesus was born. As R.C. Sproul puts it, sin is cosmic treason. The slightest sin, he says, is an act of defiance against cosmic authority. It is a revolutionary act, a rebellious act in which we are setting ourselves in opposition to the one to whom we owe everything. Have you considered your sin in that light lately? That every sin, no matter how small we might view it, is an act of treason against God. It's an act of rebellion and revolution, a declaration of independence from his authority as king. Our spiritual need is not that we need to improve. 
We need to be rescued from the death penalty we deserve. Many on that ordinary night perhaps had forgotten that. But that changed quickly, at least for the shepherds, as we hear an extraordinary announcement. Out of nowhere, an angel appears to the shepherds, and they were terrified, the text says. Wouldn't you be terrified? You're in the dark, minding your own business, and suddenly a flood of light fills up the sky. We were driving down a dark and unfamiliar road just last night, didn't see any lights around, driving down this winding road, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this house with what looks like acres of Christmas lights. And I hit the brakes immediately. I was like, wow, look at those lights. It's beautiful. And yet, that is nothing compared to what the shepherds saw that night. Think about how fireworks light up the night sky. And yet, they saw the glory of God filling the sky with light. With the appearance of the angel comes the dazzling light of the glory of God. And with the angel's words come the light of understanding of what God is doing. The message is just as amazing as the appearance. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The message is one of good news. It's a proclamation coming down from the great king himself to those who have committed treason against him. And here's the message from the king. I have sent someone to save you. You've rebelled against me. You have not worshipped and loved me as you should, but I'm going to make things right. I'm going to save you. A Savior is born to you today. And this, of course, is cause for great joy. The angel says it will cause great joy for all the people. He's referring to the people of God, the people of Israel. In Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises throughout the rest of Scripture. He is the Messiah who would sit on the throne of King David. Turn for a moment back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And look at verses 11 through 13. 2 Samuel 7 verses 11 through 13. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And so God speaks to him through Nathan. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house, a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this applies to Solomon as David's direct offspring. Solomon would build the physical house for God, but there's more to it than that. Because Jesus also is David's offspring. Jesus is from the lineage of David and is born in the city of David, and he will rule forever on the throne of David. 
This is the Savior, the Messiah, who fulfills God's promises to David. But He is also Lord. He is Savior. He will rescue His people from their sins. He is Messiah in fulfillment of God's promises to the prophets, to the kings of the Old Testament. And He is also the Lord. What the angel is proclaiming here is that the Savior, this Messiah, is none other than God Himself. God didn't just find some poor peasant to do His dirty work for Him. He didn't remain distant, sitting back and watching the events take place, unfold over those years. God Himself became a poor infant and was laid in a manger, in a dirty stable. He got His hands dirty to come and save us. And He got more than His hands dirty. Because we know that Jesus, the Son of God, took our filthy sin upon Himself when He died on the cross. Christmas reminds us that Jesus was born in order to die. God came down to rescue us. But notice how He did it. He didn't rescue us by raining down plagues on our enemies, on humanity. Otherwise, no one would be saved because we all would deserve that just punishment. Rather, He saved us by receiving the plague of wrath for sin upon His own head. God would have been perfectly just if He rained down His wrath on all humanity. But instead, in Christ, He took humanity's sin upon Himself and endured the wrath due for sinners. Is this good news or what? This is good news of great joy. Never forget that Christianity is not primarily about good morals, but about good news. This is what we call the gospel. That we were walking down the hallway on our way to the death chamber when Jesus died in our place. This is why the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy. How could we not be joyful when thinking about these things? And that's what we see in our passage. It was an ordinary night until there was an extraordinary announcement and the response was great joy. As if the shepherds weren't already overwhelmed, suddenly thousands of angels fill the sky along with the angel and they are praising God together. I hope one day I'll get to experience one of those flash mobs of Christmas singers. Have you seen a video of those? I saw one recently where people were, they were just enjoying their meal in the food court of a mall when all of a sudden people started standing up singing in four-part harmony, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Can you imagine what the shepherds must have felt as they stood there Jaws wide open, stunned at what they were seeing. I bet, it's only a guess, I bet they felt joy. The angels were praising God together, thousands of them. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom, on whom His favor rests. Now, as I say those words, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven, And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Would you say that first part with me? Glory to God in the highest heaven. Say that together with me. 
Glory to God in the highest heaven. Now, I'm reminded as we say that together, I didn't give you much instruction for a purpose. But my guess is when these thousands of angels said that, they did not just say it. You know what I mean? They said it with joy, loudly, rejoicing at who God was for them. So let's say it. Our emotions matching the Severe, the, the amazing nature of the words we're speaking. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Let's say it together again. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Can you imagine thousands of angels saying that? Thousands of angels saying that. The sky lit up with the glory of God. And on earth peace to those whom his fa- on whom his favor rests. We will get a chance to see that one day. Because when we walk in the heavenly kingdom, there will be no sun to light up the sky. Because the glory of God will be our light. This is the first example of a joyful response to the message. But there's more. There are those who heard from the shepherds. Verse 18. They were all amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then there's Mary in verse 19, who I imagine just welling up with joy at what the Lord has done. She's treasuring up all these things in her heart, pondering what these things mean. And then there are the shepherds themselves. They hurried to Bethlehem to see all that the Lord had told them. They spread the news that they had received, and they returned to their fields glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. The only right response to this good news is great joy. And notice that the joy expresses itself in a couple of ways in our text. It expresses itself first in worship. Joyful worship for the greatness of God. And it expresses itself in proclamation. Worship and proclamation. When my wife and I got the good news that our adoptions were finalized... Do you know what we wanted to do? We wanted to shout in worship to God. We were filled, so filled with joy that we couldn't keep it in and we wanted to tell others what God had done. And if that's the case with our physical earthly adoption, how much more should that be the case that through Jesus Christ we have been adopted into the family of God? Friends, have you gotten over the good news of what God has done in coming down to save us? It can be easy to do in the ordinariness of life. It can be easy to forget. As we think about bills that have to be paid or work projects or the sin that weighs us down, it's easy to forget the joy God brings through the gospel. But Christmas of all times is a time to remember. Remember the joy that Jesus brings and worship Him. Worship Him loudly and with joy. And proclaim to everyone around this good news of great joy. Because Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and Lord. The news of His birth calls for great joy. And this joy isn't just a light happiness because everything's right with your life. Even in the worst of times, even in the most difficult of trials, there is joy for the Christian. So during the dark times of slavery in America, there was joy in Christ 
for those who were his. I find it absolutely amazing that though they were treated harshly and sometimes brutally beaten slaves, still sang. They sang of hope. They sang of love. They sang of joy. They sang of Christ. And they sang a song that we sing at Christmas, telling the news of the great light that shone over the shepherds and the Savior who was born to save us. The lyrics of that song go like this. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. This is the kind of joy that overcomes sorrow and pain and suffering and even slavery. This is the joy that the good news of Christ brings. So go tell it to everyone you know. Let's pray together.